0: I remember finding that out uh, when I was applying and just being like, well, how the heck am I going to do that? Because I can't pass this test myself and I don't plan on having another employee right now. Like I do work with contractors, but um, it just felt kind of insurmountable. And I wasn't sure if I should continue to move forward or not because, you know, I didn't want to be operating illegally in a country, especially if somebody shares that information with you.
1: You're listening to the Live, Work, Play Japan podcast, where we talk to the most inspiring teachers, freelancers, and entrepreneurs in Japan, so you can learn the secrets of their success. Today, I get to talk with Elizabeth Muller a friend of mine who started her own travel business in 2016. She's managed to grow her company very quickly. And we're going to talk about the principles and the thoughtful approach that Elizabeth brings to her business. She's always keeping the needs of her customers at the center of every decision she makes. And we could all learn a lot from Elizabeth's entrepreneurial journey in Japan.
0: I was really lucky. I had been to Japan twice before, once on a work trip and once on a vacation. And while I was here for work, I was traveling from Hokkaido, from, like, the Inaka in Hokkaido to the Inaka outside of Kyoto and Nara, and sitting down with Airbnb hosts and guests and talking to them about family and home and belonging, and it was really compelling to me. Uh, I feel like coming... I had read all these books about, you know, differences between Western and Eastern cultures and, you know, individualism versus uh, community-driven thought, and hearing the way people described their versions of hospitality or how they think about those around them, I was so compelled. Um, Well, it was just so different than what I had grown up with. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. Uh, And so I decided to finish my project and quit my job and then move over to Japan. So I showed up here and kind of had that, oh, my moment. Like, what have you done? And I realized that if I wanted to be somewhat more independent, because I was illiterate, I didn't speak or read Japanese, uh, I went to language school. And so I did that on and off for about five months and did a lot of traveling in Japan and decided that, you know, it wasn't just a place that I wanted to spend a little bit of time, but I wanted to really commit myself to being here. So started a company um about six months into to having arrived but those first wow months i did a tourist visa so i would be here for three months and then i would leave and then come back in yeah because you can only get three months at a time right (laughs) yeah and you can only be here for 180 days out of a year so Mm -hmm. i remember coming back in and my visa was in process and uh the security guard at the airport like looked at my passport and looked at me and he was like Last one. You know, like, (laughs) this is the last visitor visa you're getting ma'am yeah. so you better figure something out and i was like i understand so it, yeah. it didn't work out um
1: yeah it's interesting that within six months you kind of uh and i think a lot of people feel this way quite it's japan can be quite a polarizing place where you get here and either you're like oh my god i love it i want to stay forever and ever and ever or you get to that point where you know within six months usually a lot of people are like okay well this is gonna be a one year thing for me or you know whatever that is yeah
0: yeah it it was such an opportunity to reevaluate what being an adult and being an adult that is like working in the world could look like for me because I had been working for corporations up until I moved to Japan. And then once I was here, I kind of got to live the dream of being my own boss and to not have to rationalize that to anyone. uh, It was, it just made the most sense to be my own boss. So uh, that I think was something that I, it's such an opportunity, and that's why I was so excited to continue to stay on.
1: Yeah. So, um, tell us a little bit about uh, your business. Like, what did it take for you to start your business here in Japan?
0: Okay. So I'll zoom out. My business is basically a travel agency. I mean, that's the easiest way to describe it. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, it focuses on getting people to parts of Japan that they haven't heard about yet via their interests. So, you know, I'm not necessarily advertising that this place is new and undiscovered, but I'm saying that this place has a really quality experience that you're going to connect with and, and make your trip to Japan more meaningful. So it involves me getting to know Japan as well as I can and me getting to know the traveler as well as I can and then matching those two things together.
1: Wow, that's and, really nice, and it seems like um, a really good kind of service for people who want to want to experience Japan in a more real way. They don't want to just go on, you know, Tripadvisor and go, okay, so I'm going to Kyoto, so I'll definitely go to Kinkakuji and I'll go to you know just all the normal touristy places where all the tourists hang out.
0: Yeah, and I'm not to say that some of those touristy places don't have value, which is fun because mm. once you get to find out what somebody's interested in, if somebody's like a gold leaf fanatic. Kakuji is perfect for them. You know, it's like, yeah, this this temple is gold-leafed and it's got three different types of architecture on each tier and, you know, it's built to represent the eastern side, which is the afterlife. I mean, there's so much more to it. Um, right. But having experienced it when it's crowded, I can understand that you can be like, I don't get it, and just move on. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so that's, that's the other fun part about getting to know the people is that um, you can make the justification for why a touristy place is either worth their time or not worth their time.
1: Mm. Uh, and And yeah so what was the process like for you like uh, deciding that you wanted to start your business and uh, what was it about you know doing something like travel uh, or tours for people trying to find these interesting places for them to see what was it about that that kind of
0: hooked me yeah. yeah,
1: that hooked you and made you want to do that.
0: I read a book called Springboard and it was about redefining your definition of success. And we had to do an activity, which maybe you want to do with me together right now. Um oh, I, okay. I Let's can do it. tell you. Okay, great. So it's uh fill in the blank and it's meant to focus on intrinsic motivation. So mm-hmm. for you, the more you blank, the more you love to blank. What would your answer be?
1: Um I I guess is this something that you're supposed to answer really, really quickly?
0: Uh,
1: or you can think about it a little bit? You
0: can think about it. I can tell you mine while you think.
1: Okay. Uh, so what's yours?
0: Mine was, well, actually, I'll tell you uh, a famous chef, Julia Childs. Her uh-huh. answer was, the more I cook, the more I love to cook. And, okay. you know, she's, she's brought French cooking into the homes of people all around the world and made it very accessible. Um, and so that's that was her outlet. But for me, it was the more I learn, the more I love to learn. Mm. And I found that moving to Japan, you know, that brain plasticity was just activated because of learning a new language and being surrounded by unfamiliar things and also trying to pick up on cultural cues that I wasn't familiar with, whether it be like even the come here is like a little different, you know that mothers do to their children. So yeah. your brain is just flexible and it's picking up new things. And I felt like, Every book I read, I just devoured and I was so excited. And Japan is definitely a deep culture that, you know, you start to scratch one layer and then you realize, oh, my gosh, there's infinite numbers of layers underneath here. So,
1: uh, right. And especially once you start getting better at Japanese, too, like once your language ability improves, that like you realize how much of how deep some of these things go that you you, know, you can't really understand it just by under, just by reading books in English. Mm-mm. Once you once you learn in Japanese, it just makes so much more sense.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I'm not there yet. (laughs) I would say my Japanese language proficiency is definitely not there, but working on it. Um, Yeah. I think
1: your Japanese has improved really fast. Though I think last time we spoke, um, it seemed like your Japan, like you could understand a lot better. Your Japanese had, had, uh, almost maybe surpassed mine, even though I've been here quite a bit longer than you. (laughs) So, um, no, I, I think you, you've definitely been studying harder than I have and been working very hard towards your Japanese level.
0: Oh, thank you. I would say right now, um, it's about pushing myself out of my comfort zone. Uh, sometimes I can go mute in social situations where, because I don't know exactly how to say what I want to say, I just don't speak. Mm, um, and the way you know, the way to learn is to make mistakes. And so now when I feel like, okay, I could either choose to stay quiet and that would be totally acceptable because Japan is a place that accepts people being quiet. Like they're like, that's totally fine. Um, you don't have to be extroverted right or, so you can actually
1: end up being like that yeah. you can end up sort of taking on that cultural identity of just being the being quiet in the corner and not trying or not not wanting to make a mistake or something
0: exactly so i have to just say you know nope say something you know whatever mm. it may be so that they so that they know that you're trying and then they'll they'll also reciprocate that
1: yeah Yeah. and that's a that's a really good way to learn as well like just keep trying because japanese people in so many ways they really want to share their culture with Mm. the world so making lots of mistakes and saying try at least trying to speak in japanese like they'll be really encouraging for you
0: absolutely Absolutely. Mm. And right now with the World Cup, it's easy to start small talk, you know, oh, did yeah. you see this? Or did you see that? Or
1: <laughs> Yeah, very, very easy to talk about that kind of stuff with uh, with Japanese people, especially like Japan uh, beats Colombia in the game recently. And it was just like the whole country erupted into this. Oh, my God, football is a thing like or soccer, you know, as you call it, Americans call it like, oh, my God, it's a thing. And people just went crazy about it because all of a sudden Japan was playing on the world stage in a big way.
0: Absolutely. And all the positive press that they've been getting for cleaning up in the stadium after the game is over. It's also really exciting. And just to talk to people about, you know, how does it feel um, that people can finally recognize, you know, how much thought you pay for somebody else or, you know, different things like that.
1: Yeah, that's really nice. So let me let me bring you back then to um we were talking about starting the business. So you read this book. (laughs) Oh wow You read this book that made you think, okay, the more I learn, the more I love to learn. So how did that lead you to the the travel business that you started?
0: I my background is in market research. So I originally Mm -hmm. thought that I was going to be working with corporations to do market research in Japan. Mm. That's what I figured. And that's the trip that I came to Japan on and I fell in love. So I was like, well, I can just help people do that. They're going to ask me questions I don't know the answer to. And we can learn about them together. And I have done uh, research trips for corporations and they're so incredibly fun. I mean, it's it's a lot of work. You're doing both focus groups and then, you know, like experiential study. But uh I found a niche, I guess, with travelers that were coming over and just trying to give them that experience of what it's like for me to travel around Japan and learn and discover and um, share that knowledge with them. So, that, so I think because I was having so much fun exploring Japan, it was just natural for me to want to share that with somebody else, you know, like the, the kid that turns around and is like, here's my ice cream, like have some too. Um, mm. It was just too good not to share.
1: Right. And, and that's the thing you, you maybe you were doing market research before, but you don't necessarily want to come to Japan and have this whole new life and then be like, OK, well, I'll just do what I was doing yeah. before, you know, like, yeah. you have an opportunity, you know.
0: Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So, yeah. So I decided so I'm reading this book, trying to figure out what's intrinsically rewarding, what's work that I would enjoy doing. Um, part of that was getting over the fact that I didn't think it was important enough. You know, there's so many mm. problems that the world has today, you know, is helping people travel really um, the most important you know, thing to spend your time and energy on. But uh, I don't think, I think a lot of people try and do good things and they have negative secondary effects that you had no idea were even like mm. possible. So rather than saying like, oh, I think this is a good thing, I'm going to do it. It's like, let's do something that makes you feel good so that you can show up in the world as the person you want to be. And Mm -hmm. if there's causes that I want to get involved in, I can do that either through the business or outside of the business. But, um, you know, I didn't have an idea top of mind that was like, oh, I want to tackle this challenge of X. And so I'm going to start a business around that. But maybe someday I will. You know, maybe right now I'm just learning what it's like to run a business and that'll help me in future businesses that I start.
1: Yeah, right. And you haven't been in Japan for all that long, but you've you've learned so much in such a short time and and your business seems to be doing really well. So how did you um how did you sort of push uh the business from the beginning to find new clients and <laughs> and start actually helping people?
0: I'm pretty chatty. So, I got all of my clients have come through word of mouth referral. And um I remember the first one I got was from the first corporate client I got was from an old job that I had in New York. Um, and then the first, uh, non-corporate client I got was from going to a wedding and just talking to the other guests that were there on the, um, I was friends with the bride and the groom's family. I was just meeting for the first time and I was telling them I lived in Japan and, and then next thing you know, they were like, well, we're coming over. We'd love to work with you. And, and so it was really just through that, through talking and telling people that I was available and, um, was really fortunate that people pass my name around. My dad, uh, I think, like has given my card out, my business card out, more than I have. Um, no, really. Yeah, he's he's a great marketer. If anybody needs somebody, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just get Keith on your team. Um, so yes, yeah, so a word of mouth, and I focused on providing a good experience, mm-hmm. so that you know they they felt confident to refer me to somebody else, and I also focused on building up a knowledge reservoir. And I'm ashamed to say that I haven't kept my blog up to date, but I I have all the knowledge. It's just a matter of getting it in a form that feels like it can be shared publicly.
1: Uh, yeah, and and I think that that word of mouth thing, and this is such a big deal. And we I think we talked about this on the podcast before. With uh, when uh, I was talking with Martin, was that when you're providing value for people, when, whether it's your freelancing business or your your um, your company you know, they provide more value than they're paying for. So everything that you do, mm. like, and I'm sure this is true with your business too, is that, you know, people pay a certain amount and they have a certain expectation. If you just exceed those expectations in a really big way, then people are just like, oh my God, like I, you know, I, I paid quite a bit of money for it, but I just got so much more value than than I paid for that it Absolutely. just makes you want to talk about it to everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And I think, especially for people who get to interact with their clients directly, once you can get to know them and tailor your offerings to them a little bit more, the, you know, the, the better they feel when they walk away and and you're not mm-hmm. offering everybody the same thing. So it doesn't become this like route process that you're just following from A to B to C, but it's, you know, you get to know the client, you figure out what's the best way to impact them and then give them that
1: yeah, exactly. Uh did you have did you find that you had any difficulties when you were starting your company, starting your business in Japan, what with, you know, uh coming to Japan as a foreigner and on a tourist visa that that made it difficult for you to start your business? Mm.
0: Learning the process. You know, mm-hmm. I think Japan does have a very clear process in terms of how to start your business and it was just figuring out what steps needed to come before the others. So it's like, "Hey, yeah, you need to have your your office space. And in order to get your office space, you need to have your city ward card. And I think that just looked, I had never done it before. So of course there was going to be mistakes along the way, but it just took longer than I had expected. And you know, you're putting down money, which felt very uncomfortable that you're not making any money yet, but you're putting down money um, for things that are going to be an investment in your future. And you just really have to believe in that. But I had an accountant and I had a lawyer who supported me through the process. And I also had a friend um, who was my translator because I wasn't speaking Japanese at the time. And there were certain interactions like with banks um, that were just very difficult and they, you need to build up rapport and trust. That's what they're looking for. You know, Can I trust this person to be a, a rational and wise business you know, partner? And mm. if they can't talk to you, then that's pretty hard for them to figure out. So
1: yeah, and I've heard it can be really hard. Actually, one of the most difficult things about starting a business in Japan is getting a bank that you can open a business account with. I've, I've heard that from multiple people. That it can be very difficult because they don't like to give out business accounts very Correct. much.
0: Correct. Correct. Mm. And it actually the way that I ended up getting mine was I invited the bank representative to my office space and we did a tour, and then I did kind of like a mock. Uh, session with them, as I do with my clients, so that they could see you know what am I offering and um just make sure that I was legit.
1: Wow, so you really had to to kind of it's like inviting them into your own space so that they can see your your world from your from your perspective
0: exactly, and then I have since switched corporate banks, but um I got this next one through my accountant, and what they were able to do was show my transactions
1: mm.
0: okay, here's her history of transactions to the bank. And be like, look, she has all these foreign, you know, transactions coming in. You could get a cut of that. And I think that's how we ended up getting another bank account. But um, yeah, it was definitely through proxy. I can't I can't claim that I did it on my own.
1: Yeah. And it seems like there are a lot of complicated um, procedures that you have to go through, like just not only just getting a bank, um, of course, you have to have an interpreter to help you if you're, you know, if you can't speak Japanese to like almost like a native level, like even if you're fluent in Japanese, these, this is, you know, setting up a business, nuanced. this is talking to, yeah. yeah, very nuanced, very difficult, lots of uh, Japanese words that will be very specific to that kind of thing. So even if you're a very confident Japanese speaker on everyday things, um, th- those things will be very difficult to do.
0: I would imagine so. Yeah when I finished the process, which took about eight months, and it doesn't have to take that long, but I was just a little slow on certain things, and I was coming in and out of the country, and I interviewed six other foreign entrepreneurs on their experience of starting a business in Japan, and kind of compiled that, and I'll share it with you so that you can share it with other people, because it really goes through in a timeline format of what I did and when, and, you know, when I was paying cash and and whatnot, Mm. Uh, but what it, goes to show is that there's no one right way to get it done. Like you can get it done in many different facets, you know, whether it be the bank account or the naming or the office space, or, you know, you can be creative. Um, it just takes time to be creative and finding the right partners, um, in order to do so. Uh,
1: yeah and I think I remember that's that's how I found you isn't it um, yeah. your, the, the be here Asia that um, making Finchman yeah. yeah exactly. I, I remember finding that and think and I remember it had a breakdown of how much money you had spent on your lawyer and your accountant and I think I messaged you and said like wow you could have done that a lot cheaper because exactly. I, at the time I I've been talking to people about the same thing for, for making my own company and um, they've been saying like oh yeah well your lawyer's going to charge you like double or a triple or, you know, they're going to take a big cut for themselves. And I thought, well, you know, I, I guess um, on some level you, you have to think how much are you willing to do by yourself and how much do you want to spend to guarantee that you'll get the thing done? Because a lot of people might go through that whole process and make some mistakes and then they're stuck with those mistakes for the rest of their company's lifetime.
0: Sure, right? sure. Mm. Yeah, I definitely... Oh, I used money as a Band-Aid for sure. I was like, oh, please, I can't do it myself. Please help me. Um, <laughs> but if I could have done it myself, that would have been amazing. But I asked yeah. for help and and they were great, great partners.
1: Yeah, excellent. Um, so what was the time uh, in your, your business life cycle in Japan that you sort of felt like you'd hit rock bottom and had like a really terrible, uh, terrible day or something terrible happened that threatened your business? Like what was something like that for you?
0: Japan has... Uh, regulations around travel agencies and they have uh licenses that you have to get in order to to operate and and to get that license you have to take a test and um the test is only in japanese it's offered once a year in september um, and they have different ones depending on if you're working on inbound or outbound or um yeah, and if you're taking people to temples, there's a different, you know, certification for that. And I remember finding that out uh, when I was applying and just being like, "Well, how the heck am I going to do that? Because I can't pass this test myself, and I don't plan on having another employee right now. Like I do work with contractors, but um, it just felt kind of insurmountable, and I wasn't sure if I should continue to move forward or not because you know, I didn't want to be operating illegally in a country, especially if somebody shares that information with you. Uh, And so in talking with my lawyer, they were saying, well, the laws are changing. Um, And so even if it's not okay now, it could be okay very soon in the future. I guess they had known what was coming up on the legislative changes around guiding. Uh, And so they said, you know, if you can focus your business on certain activities for now, and then expand as you know, the regulations change, then you'll be okay. And so I had to sit with that to say like, okay, am I comfortable taking that risk that, you know, I'm, I'm a small pennies business. So I can't imagine that they're going to come after me, but, um, I didn't want to be, I didn't Pitting want to be breaking the rules. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and though I remember just being like, well, this was a bad idea you know and i i shouldn't have done it and but i'm so far in i've already invested all this money and time like i i feel like that was very late in the stage that i was getting that information um and then you know working for startups in japan you're like just or working for startups prior to my time in japan it's like okay well sometimes you just have to break the rules to to get to the other side and, and find new solutions so um so i took the risk but uh, it turned yeah. out okay
1: good I'm glad it turned out okay this, um, it's definitely something that's true I guess of uh, pe- when people hear stories of things like Uber and stuff getting in trouble in in other countries mm. for not having the right licensing mm. but the the regulations often update themselves around them like uh, a good example in Japan is Airbnb right. where people were just kind of doing it and sort of semi-illegally and just okay well if I just put my address as something else then they can't really claim that I'm doing this and then they just when people contact them they just be like oh yeah by the way that address on there was wrong it's like too streets down or something right and so uh, and they but they've updated the regulations recently um to to make it so that people can do that so i guess you know the 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 message here is to be brave and do it the way you think um you should try to stay within within the rules yeah um uh, but be aware that the rules can change
0: uh, yeah and things are always in flux um for sure and if there was a need that you can solve like you know if the client need is so obvious and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm solving that need. Um, mm. Then probably the, the political and regulatory change will come soon, you yeah. know, soon after.
1: So what's your guiding principle for your business then? Like what are the things that you, that you think about when you're uh, trying to serve your customers and that you're trying to um, drum up a new business? What are those uh, principles that you act on? Mm.
0: Respect. So respect for the client and respect for the local community. Care, you know, care can come through listening. Care can come through, you know, thoughtful preparation. Um, It can come through gifts that you give, uh, but just really caring about the other person Mm -hmm. uh, that you get to to work with. Fun. So it's always good to remember that, you know, people are traveling and they enjoy to have a a little bit of friction because that's where the stories come from. So Mm. if things don't go perfectly, I mean, not cast up like, you know, something hugely wrong going off, but if you take a wrong turn here and there and you can turn around and be like, oh, well, this is a street that I wanted you to see and we're just going to make a little loop, um, you know, like people are very forgiving of that. So Mm. just being fun and evolution, I guess, just continuing to think about, you know, how is the market changing and how are our desires and needs changing and continuing to evolve accordingly.
1: Right. And I think that's one of the benefits, especially as a as a foreign entrepreneur in Japan that you can have is that a lot of Japanese companies get bogged down by the weight of their company. Like mm. they take on too many employees mm. or they have like old rigid structures that make it very difficult for them to to adapt and change with the new times. Like you can see in the last couple of years, com- like huge companies like um, uh, Sharp, for example, had, um, had some financial trouble and got bought out by a conglomerate in Japan because of basically they didn't change with the times but as Mm. a foreigner uh we maybe we have more of a a a culture of you know change adapt evolve and and do something different Mm. um so i guess that's a way that you can as a as a foreign entrepreneur you can have this advantage in japan
0: absolutely and i can't remember did you read the book the e-myth
1: um i have it i haven't read it yet
0: (laughs) so i'm reading i'm working my way through it right now and it is really helping me think about growth and it was saying that you know a lot of people start their business and their goal is just to survive. And for certain, that was my goal as well. Like my goal was to live in Japan. I started the business to enable me to live in Japan. And then the business has done well, and I'm enjoying it. And um, you know, it's growing. And not anticipating the growth causes a lot of pain in terms of growing pains. And you know, like you feel overstretched, and you don't want your product to suffer that you're offering. And so this book is to help you think about. Your business separate from yourself because you know it becomes something that you care so much about it becomes part of your identity, and at the end of the day, your business is serving your life your life isn't serving your business and mm-hmm. so how do you set up the structures, whether it be thinking about your process and thinking about the tools that support your process so that and thinking about the roles like even if you're a one man shop, you play many different roles so what are the responsibilities of those people and if they were to be done by somebody else, how would you train them to do it and just really thinking through every step of the process um, so that you can evolve and grow as your, you know, as your business does. So that's where I am right now
1: right and uh, and i think um you're right in the sense that people are often their mindset is often um that all their business is reflected in their mindset so mm. the way that they think about their business like if they're in that kind of survival mode like mm. you know i just need to make ends meet or something mm. um often they can feel like uh maybe afraid to do something uh, new or difficult because they they think okay it's not going to work or you know i'm not sure if that will work um and i've i've uh, got a friend who had the same situation with his business. So as soon as he changed his mindset and thought, you know what, I'm worrying about spending this, you know, fifty dollars a month on this um this plugin for my website, or I'm worried about you know putting my podcast on this server because it's more expensive, or letting my email list get above ten thousand people because then I have to you know, pay more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, then I have to pay more, and it's like, but you'll pay more, but you'll make more. So you need to the, your mindset about it needs to needs to adapt and change as your business is growing. That you need to go. Okay, well this costs $1,000 a month, but you know I'll make $7,000 a month if I just take that next step and go a little bit further, you know?
0: Mm, mm, yeah, for sure,
1: yeah. yeah. So um, what advice, uh, Elizabeth, what advice would you give for entrepreneurs in Japan just starting their journey? They want to start their own business, but they're not sure um, you know, how to do it here. What advice would you give to them?
0: I would say the network of people, my friends, not even, you know, like the friends that I had met when i came to japan supported me through the process both in talking through my business idea showing up at meetings with me sharing the knowledge that they had from their own prior experience they i couldn't have done it without them you know and you you realize how important the people who surround you are so if you come to japan and the goal is to start a business i would say make some friends first and you know connect yourself with other like-minded individuals who are doing something similar on the ground here. Similar or not similar, like you know, entrepreneurial spirits. Um, and work with them through your process, I guess. I mean, of mm. course you can't rely on them for everything, but they're just gonna be very helpful for you. Um, because it can be stressful, and if you're doing it on your own, knowing that somebody else believes in you really boosts you so that you can make it through when you're like, doubting or you know, fearful.
1: Mm. And it's always really surprising for me. Um, I don't know why it's surprising. It shouldn't be. But it, it surprises me a little bit that people are so willing to help, um, you know, for oh, no personal gain. Yes. Like it. And even if they're in the same industries, you know, I, I, when I was trying to start my school last year, I talked to maybe four or five different school owners, some of them in the same areas as I wanted to start my school. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, this is how I did this. And this is how I did that. I'm like, why are you telling me all this stuff? I'm kind of your competition, right? But people are just so generous. Like if you if you ask them, and you talk to them and you you make friends with them like people you know there's there's enough space in these markets for everyone to find a small part to carve absolutely. out absolutely mm.
0: it's like the the jewelry What is it's the economic principle but if there are two jewelry shops on the same street they do better than if there was just one jewelry shop there because it creates the the scene of like jewelry and makes it more um valid mm. so yeah i'm sure the fact that you were starting a school just validated their idea that it was a need and they were happy
1: to share. I think Seth Godin talks about this as well, where he says, um, you know, there's a reason why all the books are in the library, like where they're all in the same place, because people can't—they don't just buy one book. They might buy many books, and mm. so having the books next to each other, it's like you know, you'll you'll see all of them when you go to the library, and you go, oh, I'll buy this one today, and maybe I'll buy that one next week, you know. So mm. it's uh, you know, maybe uh, having those two jewelry shops on the same street, they might find the same uh, they might find the same kind of thing, where someone would come in buy one from one shop one day and buy one from another shop you know next time their girlfriend or wife has a birthday you know same thing with schools like um, I I think um, and and with any kind of business really is that not only um, sharing the same space but really like helping other people it also helps you get clear on your own process like that's one of the reasons why i love teaching so much and why i love um doing this stuff through live work play japan is because yeah it might help other teachers to compete with me for jobs but it also helps me get clear on my process and how well i can do this myself
0: absolutely Mm. yeah it's a really good point and i agree that i was surprised by the generosity so it's good to remind ourselves that people want to help.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Um, uh, I'd like for people to be able to find you and find your business and, and uh, you know, the kind of work that you're doing. So please share with us, like um, where can people find you? Where can people connect with you?
0: Sure. So the website is behere.asia. And I would say if you are on social media, the best one to follow us on would be Instagram. And it's the same behere.asia. And I Uh, love to document everywhere I go and all the new discoveries I find along the way. So if you're looking for, you know, rough recommendations of things to do, you can just go to the Instagram and find photos that speak to you. And I've geotagged or written in the comments, you know, so that you can find it for yourself um, to share that knowledge.
1: I'm so glad that I could talk to Elizabeth on the podcast. If you're interested in travel to all the hidden places in Japan that only the locals know about, at the very least, you should follow her on Instagram. Now, I wanna ask all of you listening what you think of the new direction for Live, Work, Play, Japan. Martin and I originally built this website to help people get teaching jobs, but as Martin's no longer in Japan and I've changed so much in the past few years, now I want to inspire people to believe that you don't have to be a low-paid, a teacher or ALT to stay here, either in the short or the long term. You really can do what inspires you, and in many ways, Japan is ready for the kind of change that foreigners here have been talking about for decades. If you have any questions that you'd like to be answered, or any comments, go ahead and send them to charlie at liveworkplayjapan.com, and maybe I'll answer some of them on the podcast. If you're enjoying the show, maybe you'd like to recommend it to a friend who would benefit from listening.